as a Judeo-Christian congregation that is liturgical, uh, the rituals and the holy days of Judaism and Christianity help us put into proper relationship both these two great faiths and the scriptures themselves. So presently, as we all know, we're in Advent, uh, the time of anticipation of the coming of the Lord. Not the first coming, we're not anticipating the first coming. The first coming happened. Advent anticipates the second coming. A lot of people think it's preparation for Christmas. It's preparation for the celebration of the first coming in anticipation of the second coming. And that's largely why Christianity doesn't celebrate the fall holy days. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot really have prophetic meaning towards the second coming. The church took the atonement part and moved it over to uh, the celebration of the of Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, Ascension Thursday, and Pentecost with regard to the high priest ministry of Jesus. They then had only what was left was about the second coming and because the church was largely millennial, they just let it go, but the readings retained it in the readings during the Advent period. And then as millennialism came back into church thinking, uh, lo and behold, there were the verses about that. And we talked about those last week in um, uh, looking at the hope. So, this year the month of Kislev and the month of December happen at exactly the same time so that the connections between Hanukkah and Christmas become manifest. And these connections help us overcome the false claims that the Jewish holy days are immaterial to Christianity and that the Christian ones are pagan. So to help us understand these, I'm trying to talk about what I call hyperlinks uh, in the holy days in Judaism and Christianity. And since they will line up closer this year, we'll do it at each of the holy day seasons. But the, the night that we begin Eve of Christmas is also the Eve of Hanukkah. And so for our candlelight service, we will light the Christ candle and the servant candle will be the connection of that first coming. So dedication and incarnation are both celebrated. But that's later. Today is the second candle of Advent, the candle of faith. Now, I said last week that a lot of people use different themes for Advent. Uh, Love is used. Faith is used. Joy is used. Peace is used. Light is used. There are about six or seven of them. Hard to get six or seven themes in four Sundays. Okay? Uh, Then there are angels, and there are prophets, and there are shepherds, and those themes that are common both to Hanukkah and to uh, Christmas are also used as people talk about the Bethlehem candle or the the, uh, shepherd candle or the angel candle, those kinds of things. What we have done this year is used hope, which we did last week, faith, which we're doing this week, joy, which is the third week, 
peace, which is the fourth week, and then light will be our candlelight service on Christmas Eve and Hanukkah Eve. And I want to talk about each one of those, so it kind of limits me as to what I can say. We also have extra time, so I have to do it more like a homily and less like a full sermon in that context. So, this week we focus on faith. Now, in the same way that hope is a concept that people don't really understand, and they confuse hope with wish. I hope for this, that God will do this. That's a wish. But if God makes a promise, that's a hope. Hope is a promise. The blessed hope is that God will return Jesus to the earth as He promised. That's not a wish. We didn't come up with that. God came up with that. So it's important to understand when the Bible talks about hope, which is last week's message, that hope is a sure and certain promise of God. So what about faith? Well, a lot of people think faith is believing, and if we believe hard enough, that something will come to pass. That is a superstitious view of faith. Faith is actually a response to hope. So, this is really uh, an important aspect for us to understand because faith probably, in most cases, is better translated trust. You don't trust somebody who doesn't have a character that you can trust, right? Now, there are people that trust no matter what. They're just, that's called gullibility. That's not trust. When somebody proves themselves and you trust that person's character, there is a certainty that comes with that. And, that, and faith is like that. So it is trusting in the person who promises. It's not a mental assent to a fact or an item at hand. It's really trusting against circumstances and against time that the person who made the promise will bring that promise to pass because the person who promised is faithful. The classic example of this is found in Genesis chapter 15. So I'd like you to turn there with me. In Genesis 15, in the first six verses, we have these words. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am your shield to you, your reward will be very great. Now this is Abraham, before his name is changed. And God comes to him. Notice that the word comes to Abraham. Abraham doesn't say, You know what? I think my reward ought to be great. He doesn't start with a wish. He starts with the word of God. And Abraham's not totally sure. So he says to God, O Lord God, what shall you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abraham said, Since you have given me no offspring, one who was born in my house, a servant, is going to be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And God took him outside and said, 
Now look towards the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So God basically brings Abraham out and says, not only going to give you a son, but there will be sons from that son. And take a look at the stars. If you can count them, he's not counting all the stars, the ones that are visible. There are a lot of stars visible. If you can count those, then you can count your offspring. Now the key verse is the next verse. Then Abraham, or Abram, believed in the Lord. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Fascinating, fascinating. It doesn't say, and Abraham believed the promise. It says, Abraham believed the promiser. Following that? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And when God speaks, he is faithful who will accomplish what he said. Now, Abraham asked for a little more evidence in the next passages, which is kind of fascinating. We don't have time for it. But basically, God says, when it's all said and done, here's what God says. When Abraham says, how will I know you're going to do this? God says, bring a sacrifice, set it there, and then God waits even longer. And when the animals have been separated for the sacrifice, and Abraham and God are supposed to walk through it together. Abraham will keep his part. God will keep his part. Abraham falls asleep, and when he wakes up, God is going through the pieces by himself. By a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. The very thing that's going to lead them out of Egypt. And he says to Abraham, after you're dead, I'm going to bring your seed out. This doesn't depend on you, Abraham. It doesn't even depend on your belief. You don't fade hard enough for this to happen. It's going to happen. So you can wiggle and worry. Or you can trust me. And that's really the message there. Now, to prove that it's the faith is in the promiser. And not in the promise. When Abraham finally gets the promise. And you know this story. God says, okay, kill the promise. Do you trust me? Or do you trust the promise? We have too much put our faith in the promises of God, then tried to work them out ourselves, and then praise God for keeping His word when it isn't God keeping His word. It's us faking it. Faith is a trust that the one who promised will do what He said. Now, I want you to look at a passage related to this. It's a fascinating passage, and it's interesting because... uh, Bob and I were talking about this passage this week, uh, and I was thinking, um, well, yeah, I didn't want to do the sermon for him, so I just we just talked about it, but the sermon was there. Habakkuk chapter 2, I'll give you time to find it. It's in the section of your Bible that still looks new. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. God's speaking, and he says in verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Wow. 
The one who says it is well with my soul is not the proud one, but the one who trusts the Lord. Now look at the next verse. It's a famous verse. But the righteous will live by his faith. Now this verse has been debated and struggled with for all the time that people have been translating the Bible, studying the Bible, and preaching the Bible. What does this passage mean? The righteous one will live by his faith. And there are two views that have come. And interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul quotes this verse and uses this context to explain that both are correct. So, the debate in Christianity is a little bit a taste great, less filling debate, you know, where they're talking past each other. We live by our faith. In other words, it is our faith in God which gives us life, eternal life. And of course, the evangelistic people want to push that one. But we also live. Go our way in this life by faith. Both of those are true. Both of those are important. And both of those are what the candle of faith is about. So we're going to look at those real quickly. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. Here Paul directly quotes this passage. And he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who faiths, everyone who believes, everyone who trusts to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So here clearly we have what we all know as believers, that it is our faith in God who sent His Son, and our faith in Christ that brings about our salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not done by our works. It's not done by any merit that we have. It is our trust in God that salvation will take place. And believe me, that's really what it is. Because we can, we can say the words all we want. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I'm going to be with Jesus when I die. I'm gonna, well, you can say that all you want until you're facing death. And when you're facing death, now it gets really down to, do you trust this or not? Very easy to trust it when it's not being challenged. But when it's challenged, when death is mocking us, when death is facing us, then it's a different story. So faith is the basis of our righteousness before God. And Paul believes that eternal life is affected or brought about by that faith. Not by works of the law or any other merit. And he ties this faith to Abraham in, in the Romans passage. But Paul also talks about a different kind of righteousness. And a different kind of faith. And we see that one in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.
the context of this is that this life basically sucks and things are tough. And Paul says, we don't look at the things that are temporary, but we look at the things that are eternal. Because the things that are temporary, that are visible, are temporary. The things that are eternal are unseen. And when it's unseen, we're dependent on what God says about it to trust what's there. And so he says this in verse 7 of chapter 5. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, this is not a passage that means, I've got faith. I've got faith. I've got faith. It's preached that way all the time. It's not talking about that. This isn't, the faith is not a force. Faith is trust. It says, I'm going to live my life despite circumstances, despite people, despite feelings that conforms to what God has said because I believe Him. I trust Him. Everything says God's wrong. I'm going to do it God's way. That's the one who lives by faith. So we, we live by faith in salvation. We have life because of our faith. But our living is done according to faith also. Day by day. We don't look at the circumstances or the timing or what appears to be. We walk in the hope of the promises made by God and by trusting the God who promised. Our behavior then conforms to the trust in God and we obey His commandments in anticipation of the kingdom to come. I teach a course that... Uh, the students always say they go out with a headache on. It's called Behavioral Implications of Theology. It's basically saying that you can tell what a person believes by how they act. Okay? Now you know people who think that driving laws don't pertain to them. You all have somebody in your family Who's that? Now, they'll say they believe the laws, but they don't believe the laws. They believe the laws for other people, but not for them. Right? That's what's going on. So if I said to you, and this is the example I always use in class, if I said to you that I'm going to meet you at a certain place at a certain time, if you believe me, if you trust me, you will be there. Your behavior will be affected by what you trust about what I've said. On the other hand, if I've told you before that I'll meet you somewhere and I never show up, you're not going there because you don't believe me. Now, we have a lot of people who say they believe God, they trust God, but they don't because they don't know what God has said. And they're not living according to what God has said. They're using the force and claiming that God's told them something and then they're manipulating the circumstances to try to make it work. It's really important that we not teach our children to do that. Many of us grew up, a few of us grew up, <laughs> in a time when even non-believers conformed significantly to God's word. Those days are no longer. So we can't allow 
the pressures of circumstances to conform our children. We're going to have to teach them to know the Word of God. The Word of the Lord must come to us. Here it is. We must believe it and we must live as if it's true because that's faith. That's really what faith is. Now we have um, the readings for this week. And I'm not going to go through them because I'm trying to uh, capture the time. Isaiah 11, 1 to 10 though, I think needs to be understood. Uh, So we're going to use that one and I'll let, let you read the other ones on your own. Isaiah 11. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. And decide with fairness for those afflicted on the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. The righteous uh, will be, righteousness will be the belt around his loins. And faithfulness the belt around his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child, a boy, will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play on the hole of a cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on a viper's den. And they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. And will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. This passage is about the kingdom to come. You and I have been called to trust God that in this world, which can't be fixed, that God is going to ultimately fix it. People abuse us, God will take care of that. People mistreat us, God will take care of that. We suffer disease, God will take care of it. There is nothing that will happen in this life that God won't compensate in the world to come. And He's promised this over and over in His Word. But to the extent that we don't know His Word, we don't have that comfort. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, one last major verse For us to look at. I was going to go through the other readings for this week. But you've got the week to read them. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 14. I want to look at one verse. This is a verse that I remember hearing. Before I ever. Darkened the door of a church. That's how common Bible verses were. In the non-religious world. 
when I was growing up. It is a verse that's always fascinated me. John 1 fascinates me. This John 14 fascinates me. There's so much here that I don't get, but it just seems to unfold and unfold. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. On the surface, this sounds as if what I just said about faith is not true. Who is Jesus? He's the promised one. Like Isaac was the promised one. He's in some sense saying, believe in God who promised and believe in me, the one promised. How is that the case? He's the shoot from the root of Jesse. He will receive the throne of his father David. He will rule the nations because he's king of kings and lord of lords. We trust God through Jesus because he's the one through which we receive the promises. All the promises are through. God didn't even create without Jesus. Okay? This is not simply a promised one. He is much more than the promised one. We don't trust in Jesus over and above the one who sent him. There are a lot of Christians who do that. We sing, oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. A lot of people forget God sent his Son to bring us to God. And a lot of people get to Jesus and say, done. What does Jesus say? Believe in God. Believe in me. Because he's the way to the Father. He's the access to the Father. He's the one who reveals the Father to us. But you don't stay there. We faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Scripture says that over and over and over. But we don't necessarily hear that. So here's the bottom line. We faith in God. We trust in Jesus, I mean. Because he is both the promiser and the promise. That's the miracle of the incarnation. The incarnation is that the creator himself can become a part of the creation in order that the creation can be completely attached I don't even know what this means, to the Creator. So that for all eternity, God will be with us. More importantly, we will be with God. I've said this before, I want you to hear it. God is with us now. But we're not with Him we walk by faith and trust. But then we will see him. Job says, this flesh will behold him. My eyes and not another. Incarnation and resurrection. 
is the heartbeat boom, 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 of this faith. And it gets you through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and cancer and death and disease. It gets us through. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. He is the promise and the promiser. That's our faith. The God who promised has begun to fulfill those promises and we are trusting Him to complete what He promised. And we are living based on what He said because we believe Him and we live by faith day by day walking in His ways. This faith is not a belief system. It's a trusting of the God who promised and living eternally and day by day because we trust Him. That separates us from the world which causes us to rejoice. Can't talk about rejoice because that's the third candle, which is next week. But it's important for us to focus. So I, this Advent, when you hear the word hope, think promise. When you hear the word faith, think trust. I'm trusting the one who promised because he is faithful. Let's pray.